The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much. It's always a great pleasure to know that we're sharing this space together in this time and and just honoring all of you as intentional spirits. You know, it's like I say that, Intentional spirits are people that are not measuring their lives by what is going on outside of them. They're not living in the waiting room. They're not hoping that something will be over soon. They just continue to be intentional with prayer, um, a knowing, a believability about what is possible, and knowing that with everything in life, you're going to be energetically more on the other side of it. And I'm so, so happy today to introduce you to someone that uh, because of his first book, Seed of the Soul, it was transformational and he's continued to one time after another to be a difference maker for all of us. He is so welcomed in our hearts because he is a person of depth and substance. (laughs) Gary Stoff, hello from my heart today, sir. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, Temple. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on this beautiful show and to be back on Unity Radio again. Well, you know that Unity is, uh, you know, we have Gary Zukoff t-shirts in Unity. (laughs) And you were actually there at a conference uh, a few years ago and um, and just on your 25th, the celebration of Seat of the Soul, actually, you were on your, your book tour. Um, I know that you have touched millions with your work and with ideas and the depth and everything. And yet there's always people that are new to you or a different generation. Could you just give us a little bit of how did you get into this line of work? How did this kind of work about the soul? Where did that come from as far as what matters to you, Gary? Well, Unity Radio is called The Voice of an Awakening World, Mm -hmm. and I'm part of it, and so are you, and so is everyone who's listening, and what I found the most wonderful thing in my life to share after living my life for quite a while is a realization that a new consciousness is now transforming our entire species. Our entire species is, see, this is not a thing that's happening in our consciousness that's new. It's a new consciousness. And this new consciousness is reaching now hundreds of millions of people. And in a few generations, everyone will be touched by this new consciousness. And that's the big news. This transformation in human consciousness, in my experience, is epic. It's unprecedented. Human consciousness has evolved for 
hundreds of millennia, about 300,000 years, depending upon where you want to start counting. And it's plodded along. But now it's exploding with a breathtaking velocity, startling newness. And that's what we're in now. We are standing with one foot in an old consciousness that not only is dying, but is dead, but is moving forward, still moving because of inertia. And that's the world that we've inhabited. And at the same time, a new consciousness is born. And we are straddling this line between the old and the new, the dead and the born. And every moment we make a decision to act or to speak from the new consciousness or from the old. The old consciousness is familiar, rigid, unyielding, righteous. The new consciousness is one of harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. So that's what I want to talk about, Temple. I love talking about it. It's, to me, the most amazing thing it's possible to talk about. Well, for me, it's it's so breath-giving. Um, I don't use the term breathtaking um, because I feel the allness of life. It's, it's breath-giving. It's a deep, deep breath, and it it's so refreshing um, to talk to you, knowing that you are out there in the world, whether you're on Zoom or whether you're, you know, whatever you're teaching. And of course, the new model of what we're doing now uh, in this current time. But it's so great to hear someone talk about we're moving into the best of times because I, I feel sad sometimes when I hear leaders especially metaphysical leaders that are talking about it's so awful and it's so this and how can this be happening and i i believe that we are entering into like the the beautiful face of of mysticism and mystery and oh my gosh and the gifts that are going to come from all this so i want to hear so much of what you have to say about the new consciousness and I applaud you for being a person that that knows that that's what this is all about. Thank you for that. And yeah, lead us in that direction wherever you want to go. <laughs> Thank you, Temple. <laughs> well, I can I can tell you a little about me. I was I was born in Texas, and I grew up <laughs> from grade school to the end of high school in a small town in Kansas. And. Uh, I didn't have a very happy childhood, and I, I don't know why, because I had parents that loved me. Uh, my mother adored me, and my father uh, did everything he could to provide me and my sister and his family with with everything that we needed, which means a house and food. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so I never could understand why my childhood wasn't happy and gay and cheerful. But I... Uh, got out of high school, and I didn't feel as though I had any connections there. I, I didn't feel connected with the students I was with, but I didn't feel connected with anyone. But at the same time, my colleagues elected me the president of the student council. They elected me governor. They, they sent me to governor to Boys State in Kansas, and there I got elected governor. 
Um, I was on a debate team that was a state championship team for three years. That actually, my wonderful debate coach, our wonderful debate coach, had produced state championship teams long before I arrived and long after I left. But I was a part of that, and I liked it. And then after that, I got a scholarship to Harvard. And uh, now, this is growing up in a little town in Kansas. And I didn't expect that. I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but I decided to accept it. And so I spent four years in Cambridge, Massachusetts, getting a degree from Harvard, struggling, really struggling through, because I was at the top. I was in the top percentiles of my uh, high school in Kansas. I was in the lowest two, two or three percentile at Harvard, and it was like stepping off a cliff. There was nothing that prepared me for it academically. But I'm glad I went. Um, it gave me an opportunity to see uh, things very differently than I could have seen them in Kansas. <clears throat> I, uh, the reason I got accepted to Harvard was because Harvard was transforming from a, an Eastern finishing school to a national university just that time. And my debate coach wrote me a wonderful, I mean, a magnificent letter. And <clears throat> I think I was just the person that Harvard needed, uh, a valedictorian with a great recommendation in, um, and from Kansas, because all of the, all of the people at Harvard then uh, uh, were coming from, and it was a men's school, were coming from Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, and they all had 800 SAT scores. And this introduced me to that entire aspect of uh, society and the world. And after that, I joined the Army. I always wanted to. I was angry. I was really angry. <clears throat> and... I wanted to be admired. I wanted to be a paratrooper. I wanted to be a Green Beret, and I was. I got um, accepted into Infantry Officer Candidate School at Fort Benning. I went to parachute school there, and then something impossible happened. I got assigned as a second lieutenant to the first Special Forces group. Special Forces means Green Berets. At that time, no one in the Army wore a beret except the Green Berets. That was a distinction that President Kennedy gave that unit in the Army. Now, I said it was a miracle because when I was in, <clears throat> in uh, going to basic infantry training before I went to officer candidate school, the Special Forces was recruiting and I had a chance to join it, or to go to officer school, officer candidate school. But I couldn't do both because there was no position in the special forces for a second lieutenant, and that's what I would be when I got out of infantry officer candidate school. So I chose to be an officer. I didn't want to be an enlisted man anymore. I'd spent enough time in kitchens and doing KP work and things like that. So I got my commission. Then the impossible happened. 
I got assigned as a second lieutenant to the 1st Special Forces Group, 1st Special Forces on Okinawa, a, a Japanese prefecture, an island in the South Pacific. <clears throat> well, the impossible happened. I became a Green Beret and an officer. And I served in Vietnam for a while. I would go there on uh, duty assignments from Okinawa. And what I did there was uh, was all top secret. It's not top secret now, but it was then. We were uh, running operations and patrols into Laos and Cambodia, even though our government was swearing to all of its, by all that they could swear by, that there were no Americans in Laos or Cambodia, but there were. And all of these missions were top secret. And... That gave me another view of life, uh, a view of life that I liked. I actually liked it more than the view of life that I got at Harvard. Uh, but the universe kept giving me views of life, whether I liked them or not. And it turns out that's entirely irrelevant. What's relevant is opening your heart. What's relevant is variegating your experience. What's relevant is learning to appreciate people. And that's what I was given the opportunity to do in Kansas, at Harvard, in the Army, and everything that followed. <clears throat> when I got out of the Army, I wanted to see the West Coast. I'd never seen that before. I was in Florida, and I was diving for something treasure uh, in the Florida Keys. It, it, that, that's another adventure that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, we, we were working on a on a boat with uh, 12 divers, and we'd have six divers down. It was surface-supplied air, and then the divers and the tenders would reverse roll, and the tenders would dive, and the divers would tend. We didn't find the treasure. Uh, someone was on shore all the time raising money to pay for all of this while we were looking for a galleon that uh, sank in 1733. But it was... A lovely experience, but I wanted to see the West Coast when I finished with that. So I drove straight out to California. And from Florida to California is a straight line. There's a freeway that connects the two. And I drove until I ran into the ocean. And then I turned in San Diego. And then I turned right. And I went to San Francisco. And there I stayed for 13 years on Mm -hmm. Telegraph Hill. I'd never stayed that long anywhere in my life. And that was another completely different experience. By then, it was clear to me that I was addicted to sex. But I just thought I was a manly person. So it wasn't clear to me that I was addicted to sex. That happened a little later. But I was addicted to sex. I was angry, and my life was mostly a life of riding motorcycles, um, looking for sex with women. Uh, drugs, and then starting that again. Uh, But something, again, miraculous happened. I got invited to a group of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, which is just above Berkeley University. And Berkeley University is in Berkeley, California, and it's right across the San Francisco Bay from San Francisco, where I was living. So I went to this meeting. It was called the Fundamental Physics Group. Uh, created by a, a wonderful woman, Elizabeth Rauscher, 
who just passed on not long ago. And she called it the fundamental physics, and she spelled it F-Y-S-I-C-S group. And it was wonderful. And the first time I went there, it, 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 it literally astounded me because the physicist was speaking about whether or not they were creating the reality that they were experimenting with. And it was astounding to me because that's exactly what I was discussing with my intellectual group in North Beach, San Francisco. But we were just hanging out in a coffee shop. And these were theoretical physicists working for the government, working for the university, men who dedicated their, and a woman, Elizabeth, who had dedicated their lives to exploring the universe, the, the universe from an empirical point of view. So I was so excited. But before I go farther, I'd like to ask you if you have any questions because you've allowed me just to chat for a while and to share some of my background. I'm just so much, I'm basking in the conversation and I'm learning so much about you that I that I didn't know as I'm sure that our listeners are, are the same. And um, I was just thinking about it. It's so interesting. Um, some of us that are doing the spiritual work in the world or just our own humanity of aligning with our spiritual laws and human laws. I too, <laughs> I joined the army and I'm like, what would I be doing joining the army? You know, I am the last person to think of rule and structure and stuff like that. So I'm just uh, really embracing, you know, the, the energy that you're saying and, it is incredible how so many of those events of your life that, you know, doors open that you, you know, would have never thought of, but it is consciousness, isn't it? And it was just one thing after, after another, what a, what a journey, right? To prepare you for then doing the, the other chapters of work that you've been doing. You can relate to so many people, addiction and rules and authority and, all those kind of things that are the sacred warrior within us. That's it's just a really powerful story. Well, actually, I wasn't doing much relating to people through any of what I've told you so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened next. I decided, uh, I asked, I, I was so excited by what these physicists were talking about. I asked if they could return, if I could return and speak to them more and attend their Friday meetings, and they said I could. And uh, I started reading so that I could understand some of the things that were exciting me so much because I was excited when I got back after that meeting, but I couldn't explain to anyone what excited me, what was so stimulating. So I began to study, and then I decided that I wanted to write a book about physics, because I wasn't going to be involved in physics indefinitely. And I wanted to share everything that I was learning about quantum physics, quantum mechanics, uh, relativity, although at the time it was about quantum mechanics, with people who were liberal arts majors like me, uh, who didn't like mathematics, who didn't mm, care for science. And so I started. I I asked this group if they would help me. And they said they would. They said just, they all ask only only one thing of me. They said, get it right. 
that it's factually, historically, conceptually correct. And I agreed, and I would write chapters, and I would send them to these physicists for their review and comments. And sometimes they would send me back more comments <laughs> than I sent them chapter to, to, to comment on. And I slowly, a book began to emerge. And the book was called The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics. And I would create a, an outline for each chapter. And I almost immediately threw the outline, threw the outline away because my interest and my energy would go someplace else, someplace more interesting than what I had, where I had planned for it to go. And I was writing about a chapter a month. That's how it. That's how it came out. And after six months, I noticed that all the chapters were fitting together, as though I had planned them. But I didn't. Actually, I did in the outline. But I threw all the outlines away. How were the chapters fitting together so perfectly? And that temple is when I began to realize that I'm not writing this book alone. I'm not creating it alone. In fact, I realized there's no such thing as being alone. And that was the beginning of a deeper journey. I finished the book. It immediately, the day that it was published, got a rave review in the New York Times. Now, here I was, a boy from Kansas, who didn't know anything about it science or mathematics or hadn't ever written a book. It also won the American Book Award for Science. But more than that, it gave me experiences that were unlike any before. Number one, that book, The Dancing Ruling Masters, was my first gift to life. Before that, everything had been for me. Me, 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 me. The drugs, mm. the women, uh, needing to be admired and this book was the first gift I ever gave with no strings attached which means it was a real gift and at the same time I discovered non-physical reality so 10 years later I was writing well not, not quite that I started writing everyone expected me to write a sequel the Dancing Wooly Masters about another cutting-edge aspect of science, maybe perhaps uh, genetics. But instead, I found myself writing about evolution uh, and the soul and karma. And this book became a book called The Seat of the Soul. And it was published in 1989. That's how I came into contact with Unity. I got invitations from Unity ministers and from Unity International to be a part of what they were doing. And I was happy to do that because it turned out that what I had discovered and written about in the seat of the soul was very much aligned with Unity. And it is very much aligned with the way you introduced this show. So I've been... Since then, doing what I can to let people know 
that there is a great shift in consciousness. Now, most people that I'm letting know that already know that. The most common <laughs> comment I get from readers outside of appreciating the seeds of the soul is, I knew that. Uh-huh. I knew that. And I know exactly what they mean. They might not have articulated it exactly the way I had. They might not have even heard someone say there's a new consciousness and it's affecting everyone and it's very different. And here's how it's different from the old and here's how it can affect you. And you can see it in yourself. And so many people were telling me, I knew that. And that gives me great satisfaction. So this is where we came in when I was talking about the new consciousness. What I discovered is, um, and I lived this old consciousness, and all of us are still living the old consciousness. And I'll show you what I mean. The old consciousness is seeing the world only through the five senses. In other words, being confined to the perceptions of what you can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. But now, the new consciousness is giving us a new sensory system. The five senses together form a single system, sensory system. whose object of detection is physical reality. That's incredible. Everyone, I want to urge you to go to uh, Gary Zukov. We're talking to Gary Zukov. He's been on the Oprah show 36 times. He His books, he's sold millions, and he's in 32 countries, his work. And go to seatofthesoul.com, seatofthesoul.com. When we come back, we have so much of a journey to take with him, and I just love his website. It is just over the top, so you definitely want to go to it between break and check it out. And I appreciate all that you do in tuning into our show. Thank you for visiting me at templehays.com and our work here at firstunity.org. We are very grateful for your energy and your vibration. And thank you for being who you are in the world. And let us continue to lift our spirits and be lighthouses rather than joining in those rocky boats. It's, it's our time to shine. We'll be right back after this short break. Thank you for being with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm I'm talking to one of the new thought heroes, and that's Gary Zukov. And he has solidified, he's opened doors, he's uh, created depth in our hearts, he's brought us from just an intellect understanding to a depth of the heart and the whole vibration that comes from the space of mysticism and the deeper part of love. And Gary, it's just such a pleasure to have you today. And 
I appreciate you sharing so much of your your path. I think it's so important to, for intentional spirits to hear that. I, I know that sometimes when you view someone like a very successful author or someone like you and Linda, that you have this ideal relationship that so many people, you know, long to have or go to match.com, you know, seeking or whatever. It's just so uh, welcoming to hear that, you know, there's also the other parts of the journey. Because often when you see someone like yourself, people sum up and say, oh, they've always had it easy. Look at him. You know, he he came from Kansas like Walt Disney and all these other well-known established people. You know, and life has just been merry-go-round after another. And it's wonderful that you remind people of, you know, I had this, I had addictions and it's just refreshing. Thank you for who you are. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Did Walt Disney come from Kansas? Well, I when I took a tour of Kansas City, Missouri, they indicated to me that that's where he discovered the mouse. So I hope I got that correct. I'm at the mercy of the tour guide. But a lot of things were birthed out of that area. There's some brilliant, amazing things that came out of there. Yes, so sir. you're no different. <laughs> There you go, well, right? <laughs> well, but, um, I love talking about I, I love talking about the relationship, which is where you were suggesting uh, yes. we, we we go. And for me, all relationships. And I want to suggest that. By the way, um, everything that I've told you so far uh, is about me, so I can say that with authority, and no one can say, "Well, that might not be right." Really, it is right because it happened. And I can vouch for it uh, with the authority of my own experience. Now I want to say to all of our listeners that what I'm going to share with you now, I don't expect that you believe or that you take anything that I say uh, just as true just because I say it. Instead, if I say anything that you resonate with, uh, experiment with it. See what it produces in your life. And if it produces something good, then experiment some more. And if it doesn't, throw it away. Don't try to wear a shoe that doesn't fit. In fact, I suggest you do this with everyone and not take as true anything that anyone says, especially if they have a television show uh, or have written a book or have a pulpit or have a degree. Try it out yourself experiment with your life because that's what you have it for. We were talking about a transformation in consciousness that's epic and unprecedented. That is the expansion of our perception beyond the limitations of the five senses. With that comes a new understanding of power. Power is the alignment of the personality with the soul. So this epic transformation in which we are living is from five sensory perception and power as ability to manipulate and control into multi-sensory perception and power as alignment of your personality with your soul. <clears throat> Was that a process and a learning? I mean, there are so many people that desire um, to have a love mate, a spiritual partner, um, is it as easy as you make it look when people see you together and you're both like 
beaming energizer bunnies with each other? Um, well, to understand what Linda and I have done is to understand this transformation of consciousness because this transformation of consciousness is changing our experience of everything from power to relationship to gender, ourselves, others, and the world. So let me give you a few experiences of multisensory perception so we can answer your question. If, if you've ever sensed that you are more than a mind and a body, that's a multisensory perception. Mm. If you've ever sensed that the world is not just random, that it's meaningful in some ways, that, that you can learn from it, not about it, but about yourself. That's a multisensory perception. If you've ever had the thought that the universe is not dead and inert and cold, maybe it's alive and wise and compassionate, that is a multisensory perception. And of course, as we discussed, I've written a book on quantum physics. So their multisensory perception opens new avenues, new experiences, new ways of possibly being, which is a way of saying new potential. Now, the new potential of authentic power, <coughs> pardon me, is replacing the old understanding of power. To create authentic power. And authentic power, the new consciousness is a gift from the universe. You don't have to do anything to make it happen. So when I talk about the new consciousness, when Linda and I do all of our events and our books and our website and all the courses and everything we do, we're not bringing that into being. The universe is bringing it into being. And we're just alerting you because some people acquire multisensory perception. They recognize it's something different. They recognize they're seeing something farther, something grander, something bigger. And other people are confused or think maybe that there's, uh, that there's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. You begin to see yourself as more than a mind and a body, but as an immortal soul at the same time. To create authentic power is not a gift. Authentic power is not a gift. You can't stumble onto it, find it, trip over it, fall into it. You've got to create it consciously. And there's two tools that are required to create it. Emotional awareness and responsible choice. Emotional awareness means being able to experience all of your emotions, all of them. The most difficult, the most painful, the most liberating in terms of physical sensations in your body, in terms of different specific places in your body, such as your throat area, your chest area, and your solar plexus area. When you put your attention into those areas and you find unpleasant physical sensations, that's information that you can use. Now, what do I mean by unpleasant physical sensations? I don't mean that you say to yourself, ooh, that's not happy, or I'm down, or I'm ebullient, or I'm depressed. 
That's not emotional awareness. That's emotional illiteracy. Emotional awareness means being able to put your attention into your chest area, for example. And if there's unpleasant physical sensations, identify them, feel them, experience them. A physical sensation of this type, uh, uh, stabs, burns, stings, throbs, aches. When you can describe your emotions in terms of physical sensations in these areas and for others in your body, that's emotional literacy. That's emotional awareness. And you'll discover that there are some of your emotions that are very painful to experience if you really let yourself experience them. And if you act on them, they create very difficult, painful consequences. You experience these emotions as anger, jealousy, resentment, judgment, superiority, entitlement, inferiority, need to please, righteousness, vindictiveness, every obsessive thought like, I've got to have her, I've got to have him, I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 29. Every compulsive behavior like perfectionism or workaholism and every addictive behavior, whether it's sex, drugs, pornography, gambling, eating, all of those are painful to experience and they all fall into one category, fear. These are all experiences of fear. Now, there's another category of experiences that we all have. And you experience, and these are the polar opposites. These feel wonderful to experience, and when you act on them, they create beneficial, constructive consequences. These are the experiences you should encounter as gratitude, appreciation, patience, caring, contentment, all of the universe. And we can put these, we can put a name, a name on this category too, love. So what you are is not, as a personality, is not a single thing that sometimes is happy and sometimes is sad. It is made up of many different parts. And that's what we're talking about. That's what I'm talking about now. Some of them originate in fear, and some of them originate in love. In order to create authentic power, you need to be able to identify somatically, somatically, in terms of your body, all of these different physical sensations, because they are messages from the universe. Your painful physical sensations tell you that fear is active in you. And if you act on that energy, you will create destructively and painfully. And when you experience blissful physical sensations and appreciative caring thoughts rather than judgmental thoughts, if you act on that energy, loving energy, you will create blissful consequences and constructive, healthy consequences. That's where the rubber meets the road. The frightened parts of your personality are magnetically attractive. It's so easy to shout when you're angry. It's so easy to gossip when you judge. It's so easy to withdraw emotionally 
when you're depressed. But if you, instead of looking outward and trying to change the world, which is the pursuit of external power, that's what we did when we were five century, look inward instead. Put your attention in these areas of your body and identify what you feel and then act constructively. Now that is a responsible choice, a choice that creates consequences for which you are willing to assume responsibility. When you do that, you create authentic power. But creating authentic power is not an event, it's a process. And when you create it again and again and again and again, you begin to move beyond the control of the frightened parts of your personality and into the experiences of love. Now we come to your question, Temple. What about my relationship with Linda? That is a spiritual partnership. A spiritual partnership is a new archetype. It comes with a new consciousness. It is a partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. This type of archetype was not imaginable, not needed, not necessary, not part of human experience, a relationship between equals or the purpose of spiritual growth. But as we become multi-century, we see that this is exactly the kind of relationship that we are naturally drawn to because spiritual partners assist one another in creating authentic power. No one can create authentic power for you. Only you can do that. And you cannot create authentic power for someone else. Only they can do that. But you can assist one another. And that's what spiritual partners do. They assist one another in creating authentic power. And that is a remarkable experience. Now, Linda and I are in a spiritual partnership. However, spiritual partnership is not a relationship only for couples. It's not necessarily a dyadic relationship. It is a relationship that can exist between you and your classmates, you and your co-workers, you and your congregation, you even in your biological family. That's a remarkable thing to accomplish that, a spiritual partnership in your biological family. And by the way, individuals who are still five sensory will not understand any of this, including spiritual partnership. <laughs> That's why uh, Linda and I do what we do in order to support interested individuals. If someone's not interested, we bless them. We suggest that everyone follow the path of most meaning and purpose and fulfillment. But this is a way that we've come to see life. Now, back to spiritual partnership and the nature of it. Your question was, does anyone have any idea when they see Linda and me together and we're holding hands that we're not always dreaming and, uh, and uh, enjoy and togetherness? Well, when you are in a spiritual partnership, fasten your seatbelt. 
because the spiritual partnership will bring to your consciousness every aspect of your personality <clears throat> that you need to become aware of and either challenge or cultivate in order to give the gifts that you were born to give. For example, if you're angry, if you're jealous, if you're addicted to food or sex or pornography, if you're a workaholic or a perfectionist, all of these things are experiences of fear, as we've discussed. A spiritual partner will support you if a spiritual partner thinks that she sees something in you that you don't see and that if you did see, it would help you. And Linda helps me as a spiritual partner, supports me frequently. And your spiritual partners will support you. If you feel an openness, an acceptance, a graceful feeling of the wonder of the world, that's something to be acknowledged, remembered, not something to let pass as a transient good experience, but as an example, an experience of a loving part of your personality. And as you remember it and set the intention to remember it and to return to it when you're in a frightened part of your personality, then you are cultivating a loving part of your personality. This is an ongoing process. Only I can create authentic power by becoming aware of the frightened and loving parts of myself and challenging the frightened parts. Well, how do you challenge a frightened part? By experiencing it fully. That's why I never suggest that anyone suppress or repress or deny an emotion in any way, but to experience it fully and then make a responsible choice. Earlier I said, at each moment, we are standing with one foot in the old consciousness and one foot is in the new. When you feel an impulse of anger or jealousy or resentment, how are you going to act? Are you going to act from the old consciousness? Attempt to change the person that you're angry at or jealous of? Are you going to judge? That is a destructive course to take. That's the pursuit of external power, trying to change someone or the world. And it produces only violence and destruction now. It used to be good, me good medicine for us. Now it's poison. Or are you going to instead challenge that by not acting on it while you are feeling it, while you're feeling the powerful magnetic attraction of a frightened part of your personality? That's creating authentic power. Every time you challenge a frightened part, you also cultivate a loving part. For example, the, when you challenge your patience, don't you? Well, let me put it another way. I misspoke. When you challenge your impatience, aren't you cultivating your patience? You are. Think about that. Isn't impatience simply putting your needs before other people's needs and wanting your needs to be met first? For example, once your needs are met, don't you have all the patience in the world with other people? This is creating authentic power. It's difficult to experience fear in yourself, and yet all of us have fear, and a great deal. That's what spiritual partnership is. 
is the only relationship that is now deeply satisfying. This doesn't mean that individuals in spiritual partnerships don't talk about the kids and fashions and the market and automobiles and the soccer team and school and neighbors and health. But they also talk about the things that are deeply significant and relevant to all. What is happening inside of them? What is fear and what is love? How to recognize the difference between the two and act with love instead of with fear. In other words, to respond to what the world presents to you with love instead of react to it with fear. To respond with appreciation, gratitude. When someone makes you angry, when someone betrays you, as you're creating authentic power, you can eventually reach a place, and quickly sometimes, where you understand what is happening, that you are being shown something that you need to look at and to change and move beyond the control of in yourself in order to give the gifts that you so much want to give. And you will say to that person who has betrayed you or offended you, not necessarily out loud to that person, but to yourself in your heart, thank you, thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you. I did it again. I judged. I condemned. I attacked. I spoke with an intention of fear. An intention, by the way, is a quality of consciousness that infuses your words or your actions, and it's that intention that creates consequences. So these are the things that I love to share. And by the way, I've written another book. <laughs> I make it sound like they're being turned out. They're not. This one took 33 years to write. It's called Universal Human. And you can get it now. I'd love to hear your comments on it. Uh, if you have comments, please go to seatofthesoul.com and under contact, contact us. That's a real link. That goes straight to someone who's going to send it straight to me. So I'd love you to read Universal Human and tell me what you think about it. And if you haven't read The Seed of the Soul, I think that's a good book to read too. It's about all of the things that I've just been talking about. They're all talked about from a different perspective, like, like looking at a, a, a jewel, a different facet of the same precious jewel in Universal Human. But Universal Human also talks about our disintegrating social structures why that's happening, why it's a good thing, because they're all built on the pursuit of external power. They're all obsolete. And new social structures, health, education, business, commerce, even the military and art, are beginning to emerge like grass throwing through cracks in the sidewalk. The sidewalk are the old social structures. And the, new, you know, and the universal human is yet another potential that is beyond what we've discussed on this show, but not beyond what is calling to you now. And that's why I suggest you take a look at it. I love the title, Universal Human, and that just the graphics on the book, it's so powerful. 
please take the time, everyone, to go to seatofthesoul.com and you can do forward slash books. And you can also just experience everything about the website and the Institute and all that Gary, not only is he involved in and playing a part in and contributing to, but also uh, Linda, his beloved, who's actively involved in all aspects of his energy as well. So universal human. And it's just so... I, I have a feeling, Gary, this one's going to exceed all the other books that, that you've done. Well, I hope it's helpful. I hope it's very helpful to mm -hmm. people. And I'm so grateful to uh, talk to you, Temple. I'm looking forward to when we meet again. And, uh, yes, me too. And it's a, it's a blessing to be able to, to share these things with all of the all of our brothers and sisters who are listening to us, all of our potential spiritual partners. And what a gift it has been. It's been a, a true pleasure to have you on the show today and just sit in the space of, of listening and openness and hearing your perspective. And I speak for all our listeners that it, you know, it has called forth the the teacher student within all of us and it has indeed been a blessing thank you so much gary zukoff you are an original idea and we so we are so glad you said yes thank you for being with us you're very welcome temple thank you for listening to unity online radio the voice of an awakening world I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.